Is your 2018 off to a good start? How's everything going for you so far? I think it's going pretty well. I, I, I did some reflection points here at the beginning of the year that I haven't done in a long time. Mm. And that's proven to be a helpful thing that I'm not sure why I haven't done it in the past, at least not to that level. And it seems to be paying dividends already. So I'm grateful for that. What does that look like? Well, it's, I suppose that was extremely vague, wasn't it? Yeah, a little bit. Ultimately, what I was coming to was that my business from a web development stance, in the past, I have considered that to be, it's kind of a one-man show. You can't really grow that very well. And I came to the realization that, in fact, I could, mostly by sub-hiring other freelancers to do some of that work for me. And I get enough requests for work done that I can easily keep like five or six people busy <laughs> at all times. Gotcha. So I, I have been just pricing myself out of clients, primarily to keep myself from being overloaded. And I found some ways that I think will work quite well. You know, once I stopped long enough to reconsider some of my business from a very high level and try to see it as a third party, you know, when I did that, I realized there are ways that I can outsource this and still maintain those client interactions and potentially increase the revenue of my business quite significantly while decreasing the amount of time that I spend on it. I don't really see many downsides to it, so I'm exploring that uh, very quickly <laughs> at the moment, and it, it seems like it's going to take off, but I have a lot of groundwork to to finish up right now. So I imagine in the future, a lot of the tools, apps, services, ideas that I'm coming up with might start to include team management as well, just because I'm putting together this team of freelancers to work together with. So it's, it's proven to be a very fruitful beginning to 2018. That's cool. Well, happy new year to you, man. I know, I know. What you got in the works this year? You, do you do one of these reflection points? New Year's resolution, do you have one? Do you believe in them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so for for me, I actually have a bit of a delay to my New Year's resolutions because over the last four or five years, I've gotten into the habit of actually starting sort of my year on my birthday because my birthday is coming up. It's in January. It's in the middle of January. Okay. Instead of thinking about it as like a January 1st thing, I think about it from my birthday on. And it just has felt kind of nice of what do I want to do for this year of my age as opposed to this year on the calendar. Got it. Um, and so I, I don't do resolutions. I've never really seen that to be a extremely effective method of doing a whole lot. Uh, but <laughs> yep. I do, I do like trying to think about what a year is going to be. Uh, for example, I declared last year the year of letting go. And what that meant was that was just a way for me to kind of subtly and not so subtly remind myself over and over again that it was okay to take more risks than I would have usually been into. And also maybe just make some decisions that 
I wouldn't have otherwise because who cares? It was just one of those kinds of things where I needed to remind myself, it's okay. I need to just let go of some control and just be okay with saying yes to some things or saying no to some things and letting the chips fall how they might. So uh, I think I'll probably end up doing something similar this year, but I haven't got there yet. So mine are always a bit a bit further out than not. And I, I take it that you brought a habit into 2018 that you picked up in 2017, which is morning pages. You still doing that? I am with... Uh, oh. Yes, I am. Okay. <laughs> On and off. <laughs> okay. I Morning pages and I, I love doing them when I do them. Gotcha. And I feel like in order to do them well, for me, it takes about 45 minutes to to sit down and do it. And I want it done in the morning, but that's a lot of time to devote to one creative endeavor like Mm. that that has no real payoff to me outside of mental clarity and i have been working through ways to incorporate that more fully i just don't have it i don't have it in true habit form yet so i haven't let it go i'm far from that Uh, i'm just still working on making sure it's a daily practice as opposed to a twice a week practice at the moment. That's actually kind of how my wife is as well, because we've been doing them. We picked up the habit of morning pages at the same time Mm -hmm. and she'll skip a day or day or two. And it's not because she's, you know, fallen off the wagon completely, but just because she recognized, ah, I didn't have any time for that today. That's okay. I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. And I think that's okay. Um, like like you said, I mean, it's, if it's something that's specifically for mental clarity, it's not necessarily about, the entire habit of doing it so much as it is what comes out of when you manage to do it. So I, I get that. Yeah. But yeah, I, that that's something that's still been a huge focus of mine. I've done it basically every day. I think I've skipped maybe two or three in the past few months. That's really one of the major habits that I've brought into 2018 and hope to pick up and, and keep going. Yeah. What does your morning routine look like? Do you have like three hours that you can <laughs> devote to doing things that you want to do? Or yeah, is this like the one thing that you do in the morning? Like, How does that work for you? Because I'm still trying to get some of this stuff figured out for myself. That's a good and fair thing, which is I am sure that my mornings are much more chill than yours, partially because I have no children that I have to like take care of first thing in the morning. And also just because my role as a freelancer this year has really let me work on whatever schedule that I want to work on. Right. Yeah, my mornings are really nice. I typically will get up around six, get ready for the day, and by around seven or seven thirty, write some morning pages. And yeah, I have until nine to really do whatever I want. And honestly, at nine, I still have time to do whatever I want as long as I get the work that I'm doing done. <laughs> so it's, it's, it was really easy for me to integrate something like morning pages into my schedule. I think that one of the things that I'm also trying to do around morning pages is my problem was not that I couldn't find time to do them every day, but I watched morning pages slip from the first thing that I did to the second thing that I did or the third thing that I did. And not because I had something more important to do, but just because I would be lazy and I'd wake up in bed and not want to get out of it and sit there and read something on the internet or whatever like that. And I, I just recognized that that was a bad habit that I was starting to pick up mm-hmm. instead of actually viewing it as the first thing that I did. So that's actually what I've been trying to do in 2018, reorient the way that I'm doing morning pages. So it really is the first thing that I do and kind of has that fresh slate feeling instead of already being inundated with the news or whatnot. Yes. 
I'm up at five and I have until 7.45 to do pretty much anything I want. So it's it's a good amount of time. I mean, we're pushing three hours at, at that because the girls will get up at 7.45 and once they get up, then we're doing breakfast, we're getting them ready for the day. And it's usually a 45 minute deal with us eating breakfast together. And then I'll go back to work about 8.30, 9 o'clock, somewhere in there, whenever I feel like it. But once I come down to my office at that point, I'm into code at that point and and trying to catch up on email and stuff like it's the, the whirlwind of the day kicks off at that point. So any form of morning pages, meditation, anything like that that I'm going to do in the day, it has to be done before 745 or it's just not going to, it's not going to happen. Right. And I think the struggle that I have with trying to implement morning pages is that I know that it's a 45 minute commitment. I'm okay with that. And I want to dedicate that time, but I I don't always do the right things in the morning. I don't always get, you know, I'm not likely to get some of my end of day planning done today. There's some time later this evening that I might be able to do that. But if I don't get that done tonight, I end up doing that first thing in the morning and it can take 15, 20 minutes or so. And that's fine, but it it cuts into the morning enough that I don't have the 45 minutes to dedicate to morning pages. So for me, if I'm going to have a successful morning in writing for that, I really have to start at like three o'clock the day before in order to hit that if I want all of that. You have to check a few boxes before you can possibly yes. do that one thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I get it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, the, in the morning, like I'm, I'm trying to make sure, like I do the whole inbox clearing thing and I, I try to make sure I've got my note card of things that I need, I need to get done that day written. I can write that the day before. I just don't always get it done. And if I don't get it done the day before, I feel like I need to run through my list of projects and stuff in the morning so that I feel like I've got a handle on the day when I can do it the day before. Now, at the same time, I also have to confess that I do dedicate about 30 to 45 minutes in the morning just to reading because I know that won't happen throughout the rest of the day, and I really want to get through my books, and I see that as a very valuable thing. So I do, like, I could cut that back to, say, 20, 30 minutes and, and be okay, but we're talking about very small amounts of time <laughs> when you're looking at it at that level. What are you reading in the mornings? Are you just reading the, the, the books that you would typically read, or is it something specifically set aside for mornings? Uh, it's nothing specific. It's whatever book I'm on gotcha. at that time. Like I do fiction at night before I go to sleep, but my nonfiction books that I like to read, that's usually what I'm reading in the morning. Is that really the only time that you spend reading those books or is that just one of the times? That is my core. Gotcha. Like I, I'm one of those that carries books with me in a lot of places. Uh, not only my uh, wonderful task management notebook, but also a book to read. And it's because I have a fair amount of in-person meetings or in-person like IT jobs and stuff that I do, and people aren't always on time. So it's not uncommon for me to have 5, 10, 15 minutes while I'm waiting for someone. So I like to take those books with me, and I'll, I'll try to use those. Uh, I'll read those during those times. Not always. Sometimes I like to stare out the window, but those are times when I will read that, and I I typically just use it as fillers here and there it, it, outside of that morning reading time. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to tell me about taking a book with you. I just checked out like 
two dozen books from the library, and I've been carrying a couple around with me wherever I go, alternating as I get through them. So there you go. I'm I'm with you, my friend. I'm with you. Uh, <laughs> by the way, I'm still a big lover of my app Libby. Did you ever download? You? Oh no, you don't. I'm sorry. I understand where you where this conversation is going to go. You don't use the library because you. You you have some real ownership over all your books, so I do. You don't you don't see quite the same value in the library that I do. I do for the girls. Okay, there we go. If that counts, like I'm very familiar with our local library, but that's because we're renting kids' books. And right, right, right. Trying to get stuff like that for them. Yeah, but I'm not going to convince you to put a uh, Libby book in your backpack. Your yeah, that's not going to be the way that you do your reading. Nope. <laughs> yeah, sounds sounds about right. <laughs> not going to happen. That's interesting, and I mean, I think that makes sense if that's something that's a big priority to you. Because I think that this is a thing that I've been trying to figure out recently for me. I actually had this a long... I, I, sp- I spent a good while thinking about the morning routine that I want to have for 2018 a couple of days ago because I have a friend that lives nearby me who's been trying to quit smoking. And he has been getting more and more successful at that as the days go by and smoking less and less. And then he texted me a couple of days ago and talked about how it was the first morning in a long while that he hadn't smoked a cigarette first thing. And I've never smoked, but I've never really thought about the fact that if you are a smoker, you probably do smoke as soon as you wake up because, you know, it's been eight hours since you, you smoked your last cigarette. Oh, right. Yeah. And right. so I totally, I, I never thought about that. Like, I think maybe you uh, had not thought about that until this moment. No, I hadn't. <laughs> but that makes sense. Yeah. And my first thought was, wow, that really sucks to be addicted to something so much that it is the first thing you have to do in the morning. And then I thought about how I have been addicted to social media and the news and my phone. And that is the first thing that I reach for in the morning. And so I've been trying to recognize and really see it as a negative addiction instead of just a distraction. Because, you know, when you can't stop yourself from picking it up after eight hours, that that means something, doesn't it? That's that's a problem. So that might sound heavy-handed, but there was something about the heavy-handedness of it that made it really click for me. And so I've been trying to really separate myself from the things that I feel addicted to and set out some more clear habits and patterns for myself, which is part of why I love Morning Pages so much is, oh, I think subconsciously I was really looking for a good structure in the mornings that made me feel productive, which you know I love. Yes. And sane, which is what Morning Pages does. It gives you this mental clarity that you would have lacked otherwise. I'm also trying to do that with a few different things, including an app that I think you have on your phone too, which is Oak. Yes. Yeah, I use Oak every day. Yeah. So I heard that you've been experimenting with meditation through the app Oak, which is a a new app developed by Kevin Rose, who made Dig years ago and a few different things since then. And I've really loved it. How how are you using meditation? Is that something that you do in the mornings or is that something that you do at another time? So have we talked meditation on the show? I have a love-hate relationship with meditation. I think that might have been all that we said on the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so to, I guess, dissect that a little bit, the thing that I, I love about meditation is it's a chance to stop and try to quiet your mind. And that is primarily the thing that I am trying to, to do with that is train focus, which I believe that to be one of the core aspects that Oak is helping me to develop. Now, 
the downside of this is I don't really see any true effects of having done this. And I've been using Oak now for close to a month or better. And I guess it's been a little longer than that. And I haven't, I haven't really had anything that I could say, yes, that right there, working with meditation has helped me do this thing. I haven't really had anything like that. And I've been trying to figure out why, because people talk about how they start meditating and there's all these wonderful effects of it and they see some pretty drastic results from adopting it. I haven't really seen any of that, which is surprising to me because I feel like I'm fairly, I guess, malleable in that sense. I just haven't seen it. And I think some of that is because I have treated my reading practice as a form of focus building, a habit of sorts, because I I try to power through books that aren't necessarily super interesting to me. And I try to uh, stay focused on books without letting the distractions come through. Like I've been doing that for over a year. And I think that because of that, the actual practice of meditation hasn't had the effect on me that I think it would. Another aspect of this is that I've been doing this whole process of capturing my thoughts and and tracking them through systems and tasks and stuff like that. I've been doing that long enough that I think I've gotten to a point where a clear head is more normal than a cluttered head. And I think that because of all of that, the meditation stuff just doesn't have as strong of an effect on me. And yet I still like doing it. So (laughs) I don't really know how I feel about meditation at the moment, but it's a thing that I am planning to continue doing until I have something concrete that tells me yes or no on it. Now, where does that fit into your daily routine though? I, I think this might be part of why it does or doesn't work. And it's because, so my morning routine, I'm getting up, getting dressed and ready for the day. I come downstairs, I make some breakfast and coffee. Uh, I'll do my Bible reading at that time. And then once I get done with that, then I'll come downstairs to my office. And that's when I will do like some head clearing things with like dumping tasks and projects and stuff that came to me in the morning and making sure I've got my list for the day in order. After I get that done, I'll go meditate for 10 minutes. And then once I'm done with that, then I would, in theory, step into morning pages or do some writing for one of my sites. And then once I'm done with that, then I'll read until the girls get up in the morning. And I think that because I'm doing that meditation after that head clearing process, that I'm in some form maybe crippling it in some form. I don't know. But that's something I've been doing. I don't know if it's right or not. See, this is actually a really interesting thing to me, which is that (laughs) I think that it's challenging to really set a good routine when you have a lot of great tools before you. And you have to kind of pick some, right? Yeah. Like, you just said a lot of things. You read your Bible, you clear your head, you do meditation, you do morning pages, you do writing, you do reading. Like, that's a lot of stuff to put in your morning. And... It sucks that you kind of have to really either accept that some of these things are going to get left out of days or some of these things aren't going to be a full focus or you just have to pare it down to one or two things. Because, I mean, that that is something that I've wondered myself is can I possibly set three or four morning habits for myself to do every day, because that just seems like a lot of habits. Yes. You know, it's hard enough for me to get accustomed to doing morning pages daily. I can't imagine 
trying to set up a structure where every single day I'm doing six different tasks, regardless of whether or not I have work or this or that, or if I'm, you know, gone, like I was away in, in Florida for the holidays. And I tried my hardest to do morning pages, but a couple of those days I just missed it because I'd have to wake up at six to get to Tampa at seven. And, you know, just that kind of stuff that makes it a real challenge. And it, it is hard because I think you, like me, I I want to do a bunch of these things and I see the benefits for each of them. I see the benefits of reading. I see the benefits of writing. I see the benefit of writing for myself. I see the benefit of uh, looking through my tasks, like that's all stuff that feels really necessary. But at the same time, it just seems hard to find time for all of it in in a sequence. Yes. This morning routine is something that I have been using and tweaking now for probably five years, four or five years, something like that, some form of that. So it's not like I just decided this. these are the things I'm going to do one morning and started doing them. It's far from how it goes. I think I originally was getting up at like 6.30 and I would get up, do breakfast, uh, do my Bible reading, and that was it. And then we started going to bed a little bit earlier, which meant for me, I started waking up earlier and eventually that moved back till about 5 a.m. And over time, I've just been kind of adding things to that. I, I haven't always, you know, even here as of, say, three months ago, I used to you know, whenever I got done with uh, breakfast and such, I would come downstairs, do the project clearing and stuff, and then I'd go right into work. And I would get another hour and 15 minutes of work or so done before the girls ever got up in the morning. And I just felt like that was weird. And I got a lot done, but it it kind of shortcutted the rest of my day. And I felt like after lunch, I just had nothing left mm. and just wanted to sleep for three hours. <laughs> and it was weird how removing that hour plus in the morning of work and then dedicating it towards tasks like meditation and such, uh, it, it energizes me enough that the day is a lot more productive. And that is ultimately what I'm trying to do with that morning routine is trying to set myself up as best I can, while at the same time being fully aware that morning time is the only real time I'm taking to build into myself versus giving to, say, clients or side projects or family or the church. like it, uh, People want a lot from any of us, and I just know that dedicating that time to building into myself is valuable. But at the same time, to your point, those are a lot of habits to do in the morning, and some of them I don't feel are best served in the morning. That whole project clearing process I don't think should be there. And that's why I've been debating putting it at night before I go to bed, because I do have a clear head when that's done uh, and replacing that with some form of like a three and four minute brain dump in the morning and just being done with that. I, I haven't figured it out the way I like, which is why I say I'm still working on morning pages, because I know it's a thing that I find valuable and I want that to be in the morning. It just hasn't found its groove quite yet because my mornings are very leisurely. <laughs> I'm not hustling through any of this. It is laid back and pretty easy going and I'm not going to rush it. I'm just not because <laughs> then the day is stressful. Yeah, I totally get that. Speaking of morning pages, I'm sending you a picture via iMessage right now. Okay. Of an upgrade 
that I gave myself. Ooh, Pilot <laughs> Metropolitan. Yeah. You like that I knew that immediately? <laughs> yeah, I, I did. I, I would have expected no less than that. <laughs> you you bullied me into a fountain pen, Joe. That's how it, that's how it feels to me, at least. This makes me happy. Yeah. So I, I went ahead and picked one of these up. They're so cheap. They're like $15, I think. Yep. Uh, a very inexpensive, nice-looking fountain pen. And after our last conversation where it just didn't seem like you were going to give me any play of telling me that my rollerball was fine. I went ahead and uh, got something a little different. So now I have a fountain pen, and I like it a lot. It's really nice. I think that you're right. Like I had said before, one of the only fountain pen experiences I had before was a Lamy Safari. Yep. And maybe it was the quality of that one. Maybe it was just my experience. Maybe it was a, fa- a many, many factors, but it just felt kind of scratchy whenever I wrote on it. And this thing feels great. So no complaints. Nice. Now I... Now I'm happy. I'm happy with my pen game. I think it looks pretty nice, too. <laughs> and I'm not afraid of losing it because of how expensive it is. So I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit too afraid of putting down some serious money on a pen that I'm going to put in my pocket and then it's going to fall out and I'm never going to see it again. But for this $15 thing, I'm, I'm A-OK with all of that. So would, would buy again. Good deal. Question for you, then. Are you using the cartridges or are you using one of the refillable inkwells that go into the inside of it? Yeah, it came with both, and I put the cartridge in, and I looked at the refillable thing, and it, it scared me. <laughs> so I don't know what to do with that. Yep. But the uh, the cartridge works fine, and I guess I'll have to figure out what to do next after I run out of ink on this thing. What do you use? Um, well, I have a handful of fountain pens, so I own an inkwell that I use for those, and... I have, I'm holding the Pilot Metropolitan currently, and I have the refillable on that. And that particular refillable is one of the easiest to use. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a pretty good one to get started with on that because if it's the one that I have, you just squeeze it, stick it in the ink, and turn it loose and it sucks the ink up into the pen. Interesting. Like if that's the one that you've got. So there are some that have, like they have a twist top on them that you screw up and down to get the, the piston to move. Those are fairly more complicated. I don't really recommend people start with those, but they're they're doable. Mm. Anyway, all of that to say, I have used the cartridges before. That's how I started and that's how I, I got into it. But I very quickly wanted to step into like the Lamy Safari and then I picked up a, what is this, a Monteverde Invincia, which has like a carbon fiber body on it. That's my heavy, almost calligraphy style pen. But those require you to use an inkwell of sorts. And I, because of that, ended up owning an inkwell. And then I figured I'm going to learn it anyway. So I stepped into it immediately with the Pilot Metropolitan. But all of that to say, this is this is a cool pen. I'm, I'm excited that you're getting into fountain pens. And it sounds like you got a smooth one too, because some of these can get scratchy. But it makes me happy that you got a smooth one. Yeah. I got one that was fine point because it seemed like the Joe thing to do. And <laughs> I might try one that's medium point because I, I just like those thicker lines, man. Mm-hmm. And the fine point is smooth enough, so that's not a problem. And I got it not only because that felt appropriate, but also because I was afraid of the ink being kind of smeary. Yep. But the ink dries really fast and it all works great. So I might... I might give the medium point a try as well and see if I like that one a little bit more. But I, I think I'll stick with this pen for a long time. It, it feels great. It's super cheap. It writes well. I got I got no complaints, man. It's a great pen. I wish I would have known about this sooner. <laughs> it made me happy to pick up my morning pages and write with a, 
a very satisfying pin. So if you start buying cartridges and stuff for it, pay attention to drying times on inks. Hmm. Because it sounds like the one that came with yours has a fast drying time. The ink that I use is not. Okay. Like mine, if I use my calligraphy sorts of pen, which has what they call a stub nib on it, the super wide nib on it, that, I kid you not, I have written titles with that and come back 25, 30 minutes later and it's still wet. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you're you going to want to pay attention to that if you start getting into inks too. Okay, good to know. Because that is one of those things, with especially with morning pages, you got to write three pages. So yes. you need to close the two and, and get to the third. And I'm always a little bit afraid that I'm going to smear everything that I just worked so hard for. But yep. not with this, not with the Metropolitan at least. Good deal. Yeah. So now I now I'm good. I got my pen. I got my paper. I'm happy. I'm happy with it all. I don't need anything. I'm I'm for want of nothing. <laughs> I'm I'm just happy I've converted you to paper. Yeah. I, this was not a thing I set out to do, but I'm happy it happened. No, it worked out well for the both of us. And I'm assuming that, of course, that is something that definitely moved into 2018 with you. Is your paper based task managers and all that stuff? You're still going strong with that? Yeah, I've tweaked it quite a bit. I actually rewrote everything here. Well, I guess I finished rewriting that this morning. I was doing a process with my task management of rewriting my project list and my uh, action lists. I was rewriting them weekly so that I was reviewing them regularly. It was just a lot. And it, it just took too long. And I found that I skipped almost three weeks in a row because I didn't want to do it. Well, this isn't serving its purpose real well. No, it's not. So I, I, I bought some post-it notes that I can use as little flags that stick out on the side of my notebook and wrote some quick labels on them. And then it allows me to leave my lists in place, not need to rewrite them until most of them are checked off and I need a couple more pages. So the rewriting process goes from weekly to about every other month. So <laughs> that should help significantly. So other than that, I'm pretty happy with it. I'm, I'm still still going strong on the paper task management, and I am convinced you'll eventually come around to that. Okay, well, I guess we'll see. And now that I have a, <laughs> a sweet new pen, I'm just looking for excuses to write stuff. So maybe I'll start writing my tasks out every day. See, there you go. <laughs> Seems a bit too intense for me. I should send you a picture of this because this is such a Joe thing to do. How <laughs> I have these little labels laid out. I suppose you can put this in the show notes too because I think listeners would appreciate seeing some of this as well. All right, let's see it. There you go. Head it over an iMessage. But yes, this is this is how I do the little flags off on the side of it just so I can get to the specific lists that I want at any given time. See if this sends or not. There it goes. Oh, wow. That that certainly is a whole lot. So wait, what is this? This is your to-do list folder kind of thing? Yeah. So looking at that, like I've got the one that's a different color at the top, projects. Uh-huh. That is exactly what it sounds like, a list of all the projects I have going on. And then I take each of those and I give them a code. Oh man, this is gonna get this is gonna get nuts. Okay. Uh, I I give each project its own project code, just like you would at corporate <laughs> of sorts. Maybe that's a carryover. I don't know, but I I have codes for each of those. And then the other, what is there? Eight of them. Those are my in the GTD world. Those are my contexts lists. So I put the actual tasks that I need to do on each of those. And they tell me where I can do those. So the first one is anywhere. I can do those absolutely anywhere. Then I need to do things in my office. Those are tasks that I can only do in my office. BCC is our church. Thinking, things I just need to, questions I need to answer, things I need to think through. After hours, which is a list of tasks that I do after I get off of work. 
So it's kind of my after work time where I do stuff around the house and such. Errands I need to run, agendas, in other words, people I need to talk to, things I'm waiting for. Those are all my lists that I run with. That's definitely much more than I do, which is open a blank page <laughs> and write the three things that come to mind down yep. on the piece of paper. Yep. And I, I, I leave all of this heavy lifting to things on my iPhone and iPad. But I appreciate that you've, you've gone the extra mile and made it work in paper for yourself. And I, I mean, I see, <laughs> I see the, the appeal of this, which is, that's the, the joke, right? The joke is always that there's a task manager for everyone. There, you can never run out of task managers or Twitter apps. At least you couldn't back when Twitter was right. a full place to do third-party apps because everyone looks at it a little bit differently. Everyone comes at tasks a little bit differently. So, I mean... Being able to just totally customize a folder and paper to your whims and do exactly what you want to do with it is an appealing idea because you're not going to say, where's that button? Or how do I make this system work with this concept? You just put it where you want to. So I, I get it. Yeah, the more time I've spent with this, the more I think the more I like it because what I end up doing, you know, if you open up any one of these tabs, the left and right sides, everything you're seeing is that specific list. It's one list that I'm looking at across those two pages. And there's something calming about only seeing the stuff I want to see. Now, you can do this in a lot of task managers, but oddly enough, I have found that I can get at my lists faster than I ever could with OmniFocus. And I had things crazy fast <laughs> in OmniFocus right. to the point that I had buttons on the home screen that took me to specific contexts and specific lists. And yet pulling up the notebook is still faster. Now, that's a minor thing in the grand scheme of things because there's other areas where this takes a lot longer to do. But I don't know. It's it's oddly calming to just have it on paper. I don't know. It's 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 helpful. And I'm not planning to leave it. Keep on going. Keep on going with that paper, man. <laughs> You've got me this far, so I will not be the first one to judge you here. <laughs> I'm totally on board and in support. I figure if I keep talking about it, you'll eventually come around. <laughs> yeah, that, that might actually be the case. That might be exactly what happens. <laughs> so you and I, we both read a lot of books. You have a whole podcast dedicated to reading books, which is excellent. Bookworm. Yes. Go check it out. And, and you know, you, you were just talking about that about your morning routine literally being reading books. And I do that sometimes too. Mine isn't necessarily a daily habit, but that's kind of my hobby at this point is if I have a free day and I don't really know what to do with it, I'll wander down to the library, I'll pick up a dozen books, I'll bring them back home and I'll just start plowing through them. And usually I'll do something probably similar to what you do, which is pick up a cup of fiction, a bunch of nonfiction, I read the fiction before I go to bed and just at some random points throughout the day. And then I intentionally find times to read those nonfiction books. And if you're like me, you want to reference those books, right? I mean, you read it, you learned it, you are trying to figure out how that applies to situations in your life. Yes. And you have, you have recognized that that might sometimes be a bit problematic. Is that right? Yes, because I find that it's not uncommon. In fact, it's probably a daily occurrence where I'm talking to someone, a friend, could be a relative, someone stranger I've met, I don't know. And they will mention a topic that I've read an entire book about. And I want to reference that book. And I feel like I understand a lot about that topic. And yet, 
I don't feel like I can say anything because I know that that person, in most cases, you usually know, like, you know who's a reader and who's not. People who read a lot talk about the books they read. And if that person is not someone who reads a lot, it's kind of weird to bring up a book and say, hey, this really helped me, knowing they don't care <laughs> and they don't want anything to do with reading a book because they, quote unquote, don't have time. and. It seems like because you read a lot, if you read a lot, and you're gathering a lot of new concepts and new ideas and you're, you're comprehending things at different levels, it feels like you start to get a, a feel for the world that not everyone has and is a bit, I don't want to say out there, but it's just different. And in order to really have some deep conversations similar to what you and I have, then it seems like you have to find people who read books as well. And if you're around a lot of people who don't, it can almost feel like you're an outsider of sorts because you don't you don't always fit in into that group socially. Maybe that's just my perspective, and it's something I'm just maybe becoming more aware of uh, the more I pay attention to it. But it feels like folks who read sometimes struggle to connect with folks who don't read. Is that a fair assessment? I feel like I'm maybe getting out there a little bit. Well, I think that you and I can agree on a concept, which is that it is not necessarily easy to try and explain why you think a book is super relevant to people who don't have the same context for every page that you read and all the information that you consumed and yes. why, oh, that's exactly what I do. That, that's especially true for me in situations where it's a bit of a reach. You know that feeling when you read something and something tangential to it comes up and it just makes you think of that thing. So it's not necessarily as simple as I'm talking about subject A and I just read a book about subject A, but instead you're talking about some subject that was sort of reached by or or touched upon by a book I just read and you have to like explain the whole train of thought and do a whole lot of discussing before you actually get to the point that you're trying to make. And I mean, it, it, it can be kind of challenging. But for me, I mean, I feel like one of my roles with my non-book loving friends is to be the book reader and to share that knowledge with people. And I, I hope that I never do the overreaching thing, which is over explaining and always being a know-it-all. I hope instead I come off as somebody who wants to actually share some fun information that I learned with other people. This was actually something that came up a while ago because last year I read the Benjamin Franklin biography by Walter Isaacson. Oh, yes. I want to read this. Which was a great book. And it was so great, in fact, that I literally couldn't stop thinking about it. And I so couldn't stop thinking about it that I probably referenced it to a coworker of mine multiple times a day for a week or 10 days or something like that to the point where it became kind of a joke of Benjamin Franklin said or you know Benjamin Franklin's life you know so and so it was just I was finding ways to include the book in everything that I was talking about because I sure did love it and I don't know I think maybe the thing that I I would agree with or that I I think you're touching on is that when you're somebody that loves reading books, that means that you're somebody that loves like new knowledge and consuming new ideas and then and then sharing them. 
But if you're someone that doesn't really read books, that, that might not be a big passion of yours. And you might, you might do that, but not in the same way. And so when you get all excited about a topic, others might not be as jazzed on talking about it as you are. Is that your experience? Yeah, and this, this whole conversation was, uh, was prompted through some discussions my wife and I had because she is reading a book on the Third Reich and she has been learning a lot of the details and history of the Nazi party. Now, there's a jump <laughs> in our topic. Word. The point is that it's uncanny the number of times that World War II and Nazi Germany come up in conversation, or at least something that's in conjunction or in reference to that. And my wife understands a lot of the details behind it and feels like she could carry on whole conversations or in some cases correct people because they're referencing things wrongly and wants to set the record straight. But because she has this background of, of going through this book and understanding a lot of it, she almost feels like she can't talk about it as a result, even though she understands a lot about it. And it's pure rationale behind it is that it, it's not exactly a topic that people love uh, conversing about, and it's right. not something everyone knows a lot about. So it, it's tough to talk about it because there's so little true knowledge, it seems, uh, in social conversation that goes that deep. Hmm. Does that make sense? I mean, part of that is definitely not only because... The people don't have the same information, but because that information is touchy, right? Yes, <laughs> like, it's sensitive. The, it really is. There's, yeah, there's a difference between, oh, I just read a book on business and, oh, I just read a book about this horrible history or this terrible thing that happened. Yeah. It's hard to necessarily figure out the way to like then disseminate the information inside of your brain. But to me, it's less about people being readers and not being readers and more about just the way that we have accustomed our culture to conversating about things. And we, we've become very loose conversators, right? We're not talking about facts. We're not trying to check whether or not the thing that we said was right or wrong. We're jumping to conclusions sometimes. And we're making our own extraneous conclusions based on what we know. And so as somebody who's read a book about something, it's easy to say, well, I have some more information and I want to share it with you. But sometimes that's just not the thing that people are looking for in that moment. And it's kind of hard to know when to speak and when not to speak. And I think for me, too, I just never want to be the annoying person who's constantly saying, I just read so-and-so, because that kind of can become a bit of a persona, can't it? Instead of just being able to carry on a conversation naturally without always referencing something that you just read or doing something like that. Yes. There's also a difference between how you bring up a topic too. Uh, like for example, I just finished reading uh, a book for bookworm 168 hours and it, it's purely about how much time you have in a week and how much time you devote to things. And that topic is quite dry for a lot of people. Time management. Yay. Like that's <laughs> that's what people sometimes struggle with. And yet time management is probably one of the most common issues in working life, uh, within the U.S. at least. And it's a topic that can come up a lot. Now, it would be very easy for me to, within a, a normal conversation, say something along the lines like when someone says they're busy, oh, great, that's that's 
fun. That's kind of a, a badge of honor in our culture. Why is that? And are you actually busy? Because people tend to think they're busy when they're not. And I could easily reference that book and, and talk about all the stats behind it. But that's going to be, you know, that's going to rub people the wrong way versus, you know, instead of saying, hey, I read this book about how much time you have in a week. Instead of doing that, trying to go the more difficult route of asking questions like, well, where, where does your time go? You know, how much time do you spend on XYZ? Like you can start asking questions that are derived from topics that you've read about. And I feel like that can get you a lot further. But it, it seems like if you start referencing the books all the time, people, at least in my experience, sometimes consider you kind of like, a, oh, you read the, another book about this thing. Like, uh, that's not what I'm getting at. Yeah, but that's just part of your character, man. You're just the book reader. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you can't you can't fight it. You just have to embrace it. It's true. Yeah. You're just the guy that has all the weird knowledge about all the weird things that no one else cares about. That's fine. <laughs> do you take and share book notes? Is that something that you have a desire to do or are you pretty insular? I mean you you have a you have a podcast where you talk about a book. But are you a kind of person that like wants to share ideas that you learn through books or are you pretty okay with reading it, closing it, calling it good? I, I tend to see books as uh, as ways to collect dots that I'll connect later. And that is part of, say, a creative journey of sorts. But I don't see it as closure when I've talked about a book or, or exposed my thoughts on it in some form. I, I tend to see it as uh, an endeavor that I'm doing for myself. And in terms of bookworm, it ends up being an outlet to, I guess, discuss and understand the topic at a deeper level. And it just happens to be uh, a, an avenue and a medium that we then share. So I, I don't see that as something that I need to do as much as I'm just trying to get some ideas out of a book and I feel like it could maybe help me in a certain area of life like that that tends to be my perspective on it uh, I do take notes on them I just don't always share them I guess what I'm trying to say is for me that that's one of the ways that I like to sort of get that out of my system in a way is I'll end up often writing a blog post about a book that I just read. I read a book about loneliness in the city and it really impacted me. So I just wrote up 500 words on why it impacted me and published it. And that felt nice. And in a way that to me is a method of having conversations about these things that I hold dear with people that actually care, because I'm assuming if you click on it and read it through, that means that you cared about it. I think the itch that I am trying to scratch in a lot of cases is just helping people. I have a very strong teaching desire of sorts, not to the level that I want to be, say, a speaker or teaching classes and such. But I, I find like one-on-one -on -one guidance of sorts, I, I find that is something that I really enjoy doing. This is partially why the consulting side of my web development business is the part that I really love doing, just because it's a chance for me to talk through and teach people about given platforms to help them get to where I feel like they want to go and helping to guide them there. That's a lot of what I like to do. And my tendency is that whenever someone mentions a problem that they're struggling with, I want to help them get through that and get better at, say, you know, teaching their kids in some sort. And if I have read books that I have found helpful in that given arena, I tend to want to reference them or recommend them. And 
that doesn't always go over well because I know that some people just don't read. And, you know, if they get through two books in a year, that's a good year for them versus, you know, I think you read more than I do and I read a book a week. So, you know, we go through a lot of a lot of pages and most people don't seem to do that. And yeah, I wish they did. Okay. So the solution is not to change uh, behavior. It's just to get more people to read books. Maybe. <laughs> I, think it, I think it has more to do with the behavior change thing. I, I think if I'm honest, that's that's what I'm actually trying to help people to, to have a better life. And books have been invaluable to me and been an, an extremely positive way of doing that. So I tend to want others to follow suit. Hmm. And I, I'm aware that that's not always the best path. It's just the path that I like to recommend. <laughs> Do you give books away as gifts to people? I don't. I really don't. Is this why? Yeah, exactly <laughs> that. Because and and here's why. My dad received a lot of books mm-hmm. when I was in high school. People gave him books quite a bit, and he never read any of them. And I always wondered why people continued giving him books because he never read them. <laughs> so, like, okay, if you want a book, I will. If you tell me you will read it, if I give it to you, I will give it to you. But most people I have found aren't in that exact position. That's interesting because for me, I'll just keep giving people books, man. I mean, (laughs) if I knew somebody had never read a single page and didn't like reading, obviously I wouldn't give them books. But for me, there's something about a book, and maybe this is just the difference between the way that you view books and a lot of the world views books, where it's not that books are meant to be sat on coffee tables, but there is something aspirational about a book for a lot of people, I think, and even for me. Let's take a book that has a lot of impact on people like um, Steal Like an Artist. Have you read that one by Austin Kleon? I have not, but it's on my short list. Yeah, and, and if it is on your short list, it'll also be shortly read because it's, it's a really easy thing. It doesn't take long to get through. The pages are only a few words each because a lot of it's like handwritten. And it's just a very interesting book that's trying to remind the reader Make art, don't worry about the rules, find what you love in the world, make it yourself. That's kind of the takeaway for me. And I read that book, but if you asked me to do like a book report on it, I don't know if I could. I know a lot of people who love it. In fact, this, there's a coffee shop that I go to where I constantly see people coming in and reading it. And it's been a consistent coffee shop read for the last year. So that's, that's something. And I don't think that people read it because they want the content inside. I think people read it because they want to be reminded that they, too, can be artists. And that's what I'm saying is sometimes I give a book to somebody because I just want them to know that I have associated them with a topic. Giving an artist a book on art or giving someone who seems like they might have a creative block the artist's way or giving somebody who wants to think about their lives something like Big Magic, which was Elizabeth Gilbert who wrote uh, Eat, Pray, Love. These are like good books to just give people. And if they don't ever read them, to me, that's fine because, I don't know, there was just something about the power of giving them a book about a big subject and saying, this made me think of you. I guess what I'm saying is that's the same way that I view talking about books, which is, If I'm having a conversation with somebody about something and I think of a book and I say, oh, that actually reminds me of this, I hope that in 30 seconds I can convey why I wanted to include it in the conversation instead of now 
in the conversation, subtly implying that they must now go to Amazon, buy a book, and read the whole thing for themselves. And there's just a difference between bringing something up and incorporating it into a conversation and bringing up something and making it homework for the other party. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think anyone likes homework. Yeah. So that's that's a problem. Yes. I, I don't like it when someone says, put this down and go read this before you keep going. It's like, no. Yeah. I don't want to do that. I'm not a fan Synthesize of that. Synthesize the idea and keep going. Like that's, <laughs> that's always my perspective. So, well, you can talk to me about books anytime, Joe. I will do that. I, I have my outlets. <laughs> yeah, you do. I will continue to use them. And this is one of them. <laughs> oh, man, that's really true. I, I've never thought about your life as being set up specifically to talk about books, but you're, you're doing a pretty good job at it, if I'm being honest. I know. 